0: Before we get started uh, with this week's episode of Strongly Connected Components, I want to ask for a favor. I love making these shows. It Seriously, it's, it's one of the highlights of my weeks and months and days is knowing that I get to interview these wonderful people from the world of mathematics and then release it all so that you can all hear. But it costs money and it it takes, it takes a decent amount of time, and so I'm asking you to help support Strongly Connected Components. Head over to patreon.com slash and give just a little bit of money. If everyone listening just gave $1 per episode, it would help me be able to continue to do this without having to worry about whether or not I can, you know, say, make my rent or buy my food this month so please head on over to patreon.com slash acmescience or go to patreon and search strongly connected components and help support the show and now let's get to this week's interview hello i am your host samuel hansen and you are listening to strongly connected components brought to you by acmescience.com On this episode, I'm joined by mathematics writer Erica Klarreich, the author of at least one but probably a bunch of the wonderful mathematical articles that you have read. We talk about why she had no choice but to go into mathematics because it's kind of her family business, what triggered her move from research into journalism, and how she tries to leave her readers with a small sense of doing mathematics in every article that she writes. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Strongly Connected Components. I am joined today by a freelance journalist based out of Berkeley, California, who has written uh, a ton of amazing mathematical articles. If you read mathematical articles, I guarantee that you've read at least one of hers, uh, and that is Erica Klaureich. Cla- See, I, I practice, still mess it up. Uh, hello and welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, so... Uh, here today to, uh, to talk to you about your work, but uh, I'm going to start a little bit before that because you, you're you not just a journalist about mathematics, you also have a, have a PhD in mathematics. So what initially drew you to mathematics as an area of study?
1: Well, it's more that mathematics was sort of like the world in which I was living than that I sort of found my way to mathematics. My parents were both math teachers, and my grandfather was a math professor, and so math was just kind of always in circulation in my house growing up. So I can't really remember a time when I wasn't interested in mathematics. It was almost sort of like the the Clarice family business in a way, so... I would have had to come up with a reason not to go into mathematics rather than find a reason to go into mathematics.
0: So what were the dinner conversations like at a table with with all of the uh, all of those people kind of steeped in mathematics?
1: Well, you know, I think our dinner table conversations were fairly ordinary, honestly, but there were certainly times when we'd, maybe not over dinner, but like, you know, maybe after the table was cleared, my dad would pull out, um, we used to do puzzles from these books by Raymond Smullyan, he wrote, what is the name of this book and several other titles that have these wonderful logic puzzles in them about knights and knaves and, you know, those, those sorts of, of questions. And so we would work on some of those together. I remember other times when my dad would give us these sort of brain teasers that would illustrate some kind of interesting mathematical principle. So, for example, he told us one time about the Infinity Hotel, which is a way of... Um, grasping the idea of uh, what does it mean to be a countable set as opposed to an uncountably infinite set. Another time he told us the story of what he called the induction tribe. And it was one of these puzzles where everyone has information about everyone else, but not themselves. And then someone gives a piece of information and then you ask, well, what's going to happen next? And the answer is something that has to do with like the number of people and it it ends up being a sort of induction argument to understand why it works. So we used to do those things a lot and then they were really fun and introduced me to a lot of sort of very core principles of, of how you solve problems in mathematics.
0: So you got your Ph.D. from Stony Brook University. You went to work as a math professor uh, not too far from where I am now uh, at the University of Michigan. So so what precipitated you uh, deciding to go and do the science writing program at the University of Santa Cruz?
1: You know, I, before I did that, I had known for a while that that I had some issues with mathematics research as a career for me. I um, I was working in a field called hyperbolic geometry, three-dimensional hyperbolic geometry, which is a a fascinating field. And and one of the things that makes it fascinating is that it connects a lot of different fields of mathematics and brings them together in this very beautiful way. So so that made it very exciting and interesting, but also kind of a daunting prospect in a way, because you couldn't just master one small field. You really had to master many different fields and see how they all fit together. And... I never really felt as if I knew enough to be able to do research in that field in a really deep way. And I knew I wouldn't really be satisfied doing it in a shallow way. I mean, I I realized at some point that I could probably survive in academia. You know, I could could crank out papers that maybe would be sort of like, you know, like B-level and work in some little corner of the field. But I knew that that wouldn't be so satisfying for me. And, and also, when I was in graduate school, the, the job market was very tight. And so I knew that, you know, being a sort of maybe B-level researcher, that I would probably end up in some tiny town in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't want that either. You know, sort of adding up the whole picture, I, just, I, I felt as if I was not heading in a direction that was going to be that satisfying to me. But I didn't really know what else I could do for a long time, so I, I kept on going but gradually, I started reading a lot of popular science writing, which I hadn't ever done growing up for some reason. And you might think that's strange, growing up in a math family. But somehow, I, uh, growing up, I was always more drawn to fiction, and I would read lots of novels, but not popular science writing. So I started reading that and just getting really caught up in, in that and thinking, wow, this, you know, it must be so much fun to write these kinds of pieces. After a while it started occurring to me that maybe that could be something that I could do because I had always liked writing and uh, in fact I minored in English in college um and I always loved writing term papers which most people would think I was crazy for liking <laughs> but I I did like that um so I just started thinking about that as a possible career more and more and Tried my hand at writing one or two pieces and found that I was enjoying it. And at some point in that process, I discovered the Santa Cruz program. And as I learned more about it, I just got really excited about the idea of going there. And so that's what I did in the end.
0: I recognize that uh, a decent amount of the things uh, from from that story uh, in in kind of why I also sort of dropped out of doing mathematical research. Except uh, you are in a much. More daunting area than what I was doing, and I I stopped a little bit sooner. Once you, once you started once you started writing, uh, do you do you remember the moment or at least part of the story of why or when you you were able to realize that oh this this is what I what I really should be doing like, like, this is this is the right thing for me. And and also, like, when you when you realize that you are also going to be good enough at it to to make it your job.
1: Yeah, well, let's see. So So I mentioned that I, I started writing just to kind of see how it felt. And I and I wrote a couple of pieces, I guess I wrote one when I was at the University of Michigan, and I tried to find a place that would accept it. And it, it ended up getting published in American Scientist. So that was very exciting, and it made it feel as if it was something, you know, real and concrete that I could potentially do, and it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And then one thing that helped a lot is that American scientists assigned a freelance editor to work with me on the article, and that was Dana McKenzie, who is um, a, a wonderful mathematics writer, and who had also gone through the Santa Cruz program. I talked with him quite a bit about my ambitions and you know whether this was really a feasible career and you know he was an example of someone like me who had been a math professor and then left and went through the Santa Cruz program and now was thriving as a mathematics journalist so that was sort of you know like a kind of proof of principle in a way for me that it can be done and I think in terms of feeling that it was the right career for me, you know, the fact that I enjoyed the writing a lot helped me to feel as if it was a good fit. The fact that I got into the science, the Santa Cruz program also helped. I think maybe in terms of, you know, if you're looking for a moment when I thought, okay, you know, I think this is right for me. It was probably when I was looking at the website for the Santa Cruz program when I first found it online. And the way I remember the website at the time, I mean, I'm sure it's gone through many revisions since then, but it it had these questions on the website that were asking things like, do you enjoy explaining your work to uh, your friends even more than you enjoy doing it? Do you enjoy looking at the big picture rather than zeroing in on some very narrow subfield? Um, you know, Did you enjoy writing your term papers? in college. And I was reading these questions and I just kept on saying yes and recognizing myself in in all the things that it was asking. So that was very encouraging and, you know, really made me feel as if this could be the right career for me.
0: You started doing uh, your writing in the in the early 2000s, which it, it, the, I mean, the internet had been around for, for a few years, but it hadn't exploded to what it is now. The social media wasn't a thing, really, uh, as it as it is now. So, what what did the kind of landscape for for someone doing mathematical writing look like uh, when you started?
1: Well, at that point, it was pretty much all print publications. So, I'm not sure exactly how to describe the landscape. I mean, you know, the, there were and still are, you know, an assortment of magazines out there, like. Science News and Nature, New Scientists, Discover, most of which still have print editions. I think maybe they all still have print editions. And then, as a, you know, as a freelance science writer, you, you quickly discover that it's sort of very hard to patch together a career where you only write for those big publications. And so you start to find other places to write for. And, and many writers would write for alumni magazines or trade publications I don't see that much change, honestly, in what's out there to write for. There are some new publications that are entirely online. Quanta magazine that I write for a lot. It just has an online presence. So does Nautilus that I've written a couple of articles for. But I don't feel as if – I'm not sure if this is what you're asking, but I don't, I don't feel as if I write any differently for them than I've been doing all along for the print publications.
0: Oh. With, with people like uh, Quanta and, and Nautilus, uh, do you feel, I mean, even if you're not writing differently, uh, do, you, do you feel like that maybe there's uh, more of a, a marketplace, say, for, for writing about mathematics? Because I, I can't really think of anyone that publishes more, more mathematics uh, than, say, Quanta.
1: Well, when Quanta was founded, I, I think they considered that covering mathematics was really a, a core part of their mission. So that was wonderful when, when that happened. Um, you know, it's, it's great having that place to write for. That didn't exist before. You know, apart from that, I don't see a big shift. Uh, and my experience has always been that the m- more general science magazines are very happy to run mathematics articles. They, just, they don't get pitched as many math stories as a rule as stories in the other sciences.
0: Uh, you... You tend to, to to write a lot of, of different styles of, of piece, and the ones uh, one I was, was want to talk to you a little bit about is, uh, recently you wrote the um, kind of write ups for Quanta of of all the uh, Fields Medal award winners uh, for the last for the last set, and you also write a lot about about specific mathematical theories. Uh, recently, prime gap and uh, monstrous moonshine, and I was wondering how how you Approach those uh, differently uh, as as a writer uh, when you're dealing with, say, profiling a mathematician, or when you're uh, helping to tell the story of of a theory.
1: You know, I actually haven't written that many profiles. the um, The Fields Medal profiles were really sort of the the most profile writing I've ever done. Um, it, but and by the way, I should interject that I I didn't write all of them. There's a wonderful article by Natalie Walchover and two of the the articles that I wrote were co-written with Thomas Lynn. And, and so and for those two articles, I was really focused on the technical parts. So it wasn't that different from writing the kinds of pieces I usually write. But I did write two of the profiles in their entirety. And in the end, it wasn't that different from writing the articles that I guess I usually write where I'm focusing on some new development in, in some particular theory. Because I think that the core elements of storytelling are the same, whether you're writing a profile or writing an article about some piece of research. And I guess I approach the profiles with the same kind of goal that I set myself when I'm writing, for, when I'm writing about some new research, which is to really um, have the reader walk away with, a, with at least some sense of what the work was about and some idea of what it would feel like to be doing that work. You know, what what's its flavor? What kinds of things do you have to think about? And even one thing I always like to do in my articles is to give the reader something to think about where they're almost being a mathematician just for a moment, uh, you know, trying to work through something the way that a mathematician would. So so those are my goals, whether I'm writing a profile or research article. And I didn't feel that they were that different, the profiles, from what I usually do.
0: Can you tell me a little bit uh, about that idea of of how you uh, try to get your readers to almost be a mathematician at at some point?
1: Well, what I like to do is to present some idea uh, where I follow some chain of logic and it just uses math that maybe people new from high school so that they can actually kind of follow the steps and say, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. And one example is, so I wrote an article recently about large gaps between prime numbers. There there was a lot of exciting work about small gaps between primes. And then there was also a new result about how big the primes, the, the gaps between primes can get. You know, if you look if you go out on the number line, you know that the gaps are going to get bigger, but how fast are they going to get bigger was the question so one thing that you can notice kind of quickly is that you can build gaps between primes that are pretty large by let me see <laughs> let me see if I can remember this right um, you can do it by building long well you build long strings of composite numbers by taking a factorial, like, for example, 20 factorial, if you take 20 factorial, then 20 factorial is divisible by all the numbers 1 through 20, so that means 20 factorial plus 2 is divisible by 2, 20 factorial plus 3 is divisible by 3, 20 factorial plus 4 is divisible by 4, and so on, and so that's a way of building a long run of composite numbers and you know, if you take a bigger number than 20 for your factorial, you can build a longer string of composite numbers. So, you know, so that's a very simple way to construct a big gap between primes. And it's not big enough for the purposes of that research, but it's, it's sort of the first step along the path of trying to understand the gaps between prime numbers. So, you know, so I laid that article out, that, that argument out in my article. And, you know, it's simple enough that you can say it in a paragraph and it doesn't require anything complicated and the reader can follow along and say, okay, yeah, I get that. And for a moment, they're doing math. They're not just reading about other people doing math. So that's something that I really like to do whenever possible. And it's not always possible, but I always look for something like that.
0: Uh, when when you approach something that has some very like deep and, and heavy technical information, uh, how how do you how do you approach getting that across to to the people who are reading who probably don't have the mathematical background to, say, pick up the research paper and understand it?
1: Well, I, I should say that I myself, in general, don't have the mathematics background to pick up the research paper and understand it.
0: Nor um, I, and, nor you know,
1: I. <laughs> and I think, in general, if if you don't work in a particular field of mathematics, you often don't have the background to read of mathematics paper they tend to be very technical and there's not a lot in the paper to, to help people find their way if they're not already experts in the field you know I mean one thing that helps me to bridge the gap is that I'm not an expert in that particular field almost ever I've written one or two things about my old field um, and that was a different kind of challenge from what I usually have to do but as a rule I am you know, sort of halfway between my readers and the researchers because I have some math background, but I don't have a background in what they're doing. So that enables me to ask them a lot of stupid questions. And, you know, basically when it's a hard technical field, I mean, you know, it's not easy, but I just keep talking to people and talking and talking until I feel as if I understand it well enough that I can sort of say it back to them. And when I reach that point, I usually know what I want to say to readers
0: the thing that uh, that a lot of say mathematicians hear uh, when when they tell people that they're mathematicians is the oh I was never I was never very good at math I don't like math I mean there there's that the, the trope that that gets talked a lot about in, in math popularization circles uh, about people reacting that way I was wondering how people react to you when you tell them that you write about mathematics?
1: Hmm, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I get various reactions. I mean, a, a lot of people think that that's kind of cool, actually, but I think maybe that's more people who are on the technical side of things. For people who are not on the technical side of things, I, I think they often react in kind of the same way that people react to hearing that someone's a mathematician, Although at first I have to even explain like what on earth does it mean to write about mathematics because most of those people don't really read popular articles and they can't really even conceive of anyone wanting to read an article like that. So first I have to sort of explain to them what I do and then it seems maybe interesting to them but but very far away from anything they could really imagine wanting to read I think. About, I mean, usually they express it more diplomatically than that, so I'm just kind of interpreting
0: their diplomatic remarks. There's, there's been a, a decent amount of talk, or at least, I mean, I, I originally uh, met you th- this past January at the uh, joint mathematics meetings, and at that meeting there was a talk given by a former uh, guest on uh, this show, uh, Kathy O'Neill, otherwise known as as Math Babe on on the internet, or she talked about uh, some problems in the journalism of mathematics, uh, and, and I was wondering what sort of things do do you see in in the articles that uh, are are being written or or the coverage that that does happen of of mathematics that uh, that all of us who who try to cover mathematics in some sort of way, uh, I might, might want to try and, and do a little bit better on?
1: Hmm. You know, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. I mean, I thought that Kathy gave a great talk. Her, her focus is kind of different from mine. You know, she's, she's more focused on data journalism and, you know, that, that aspect of how to, how to communicate with readers about quantitative matters that are maybe a little bit outside of what our, our natural intuition tells us should be true. And, and I think that that is very worthwhile work, and I really admire what she's doing. In my own work, I, I don't really bump into that issue as much because um, I don't tend to write that much about using mathematics to understand pressing social issues, it, partly because I, I, I personally lack the background really to do that kind of data journalism so i focus more on telling the stories of mathematics. and in that area, I, you know, i don't i don't see big issues except a shortage of coverage really, you know, sort of in the in newspapers and and widely read publications. so, you know, i i mean i would love to see more of the kind of journalism that Kathy was advocating for in her talk, and i think that that is going to come. i don't <laughs> And I would love to be able to contribute to it myself, although I, I think I'd have to sort of re-educate myself in order to do that. So that's probably not going to happen immediately. But yeah, so I I think there should be a lot more of that kind of journalism. Um, I'm not sure what really to say in terms of problems when it comes to the kind of journalism I do, but it, it would be nice if the stories of mathematics could be told more broadly than they're being told now.
0: Well, uh, if if the coverage is... Or not if the coverage is is generally enough but if if the quality of, of the writing and, and the journalism is good and and I don't in any way uh, disagree with you on that. I was just wondering do you, do you have any uh idea as to how we might try to get more of it I mean other than just uh people like you writing more and, and pitching more around and, and uh, people like me just deciding to, you know, randomly put things up on the Internet. Do you have any other ideas maybe of, of how, we can, uh, how we can expose more more of the world to these stories?
1: Well, um, I don't know that I have ideas for how to make that happen, but I think it is actually to some extent happening just kind of on its own, and that is, you know, partly thanks to the Internet providing a way for there to be some back and forth actually between writers and the people who are reading their work. I mean, I think that that, that has helped to, to highlight the need for this kind of writing and, and to show that people really do respond to it. Because actually, so you, you asked me earlier what's one different, what, what are the differences between the writing I did 10 years ago and the writing I do now. And, and one big difference actually is that 10 years ago when I would write an article, I always wondered who was out there reading it and was anyone reading it. And I didn't really know. And nowadays, we know you know, because people write comments and the magazines are keeping track of how many people are tweeting or sharing on Facebook, all, all these sorts of things. And I think that one thing that has been emerging over the last few years is that people really are hungry for good mathematics writing. You know, you probably are familiar with Stephen Strogatz's series for The New York Times, and his articles got tons of comments. And I, I think at least once his article was like the, top, the most viewed or the most emailed story on the New York Times website. So I think that we're starting to see that people really do want to try to understand mathematics. I mean they're they're curious and they just need writing at their level. And so I'm I'm optimistic that editors are going to start realizing that there is a demand for this and and starting to make more room for that in what they offer to readers.
0: Well, I, I certainly I hope so as well. And I hope that a lot of those editors uh, call you up. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, and so I want to thank you so much for giving me your time and coming on Strongly Connect Components today. My pleasure. That is all the time that we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to find out more about Erica Clarish or get some links to her articles, head on over to acmescience.com. If you have any feedback, you want to suggest a guest, please send me an email, Samuel at acmescience.com. Music I'm talking over now and was in the beginning of the show is by Lowercase. You can find them at SoundCloud and at Bandcamp. And as always, this is a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike licensed podcast. So please feel free to remix it as long as you give us credit. And well, go support our Patreon. Make sure that this show can keep going. Thank you so much. Have a mathorific week.